Welcome to the Educational Renaissance Podcast, where we promote a rebirth of ancient wisdom for the modern era. We seek to inspire educators by fusing the best of modern research with the insights of the great philosophers of education. Join us in the great conversation and share with a friend or colleague to keep the Renaissance spreading. ideal classroom is that it is both warm and orderly. 
that you can be that kind and caring teacher that I, that I see in all of your faces, but there, there's a sense of orderliness as well. That your classroom is tidy. Imagine that. That your students are focused on the task at hand and that there's this sense of enthusiasm, that the spirit of inquiry and curiosity is alive among the students. This is an ideal classroom, and I'm sure many of us are striving towards that ideal. And we have those disappointing days where we drive home and we're like, we did not achieve the ideal today. But hopefully some of the things that we will learn today will help us on that pathway towards the vision of the easy life. Now, habits go all the way back in the classical tradition. Aristotle, in his Nicomachean Ethics, and there's some debate between my colleagues and I about how that's pronounced, but he talks about virtue, arete, and, and virtue is necessary if you want to live this life of eudaimonia, uh, a life guided by what is, what is best in life. And the only, way, the only way you can achieve eudaimonia, or the best in life, is by acquiring arete virtue. And virtue is often this narrow pathway between two offsetting vices, a vice of absence, a vice of excess. And it's a, this narrow pathway that Aristotle wants us to pursue. And the way we pursue this is by habit, becoming habituated. These virtues are out there, but they're neither in nature nor are they contrary to nature. They, they kind of arise in us. And we are adapted by nature to receive them. It's like they're out there. It's fruit to be grasped, but it's still remote. And it just won't like, come into us automatically. What Aristotle says is they're made perfect by habit. So if you wanted to be a courageous individual, the goal is not to wait till you're on the battlefield and have to take up the full burden of responsibility to be courageous. In that moment, you are as likely to be cowardly or rash rather than being courageous. So what he proposes is courage is trained by little acts of courage, little moments where I stand up for what is true, good, and beautiful in small moments. You become habituated in that way. I think this aligns well with the tenor of what scripture says. In Proverbs, it says, train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. It has that same flavor of the eudaimonia path. We're on this pathway to what we are designed to experience as the best for us, but it requires this training this honing and this uh, work in youth so that in adulthood that pathway is easy to follow. And because it's easy to follow that pathway, it, it, it makes it that much harder than to depart from that pathway. So I'm wanting to lay the groundwork for why these habits are going to be so important. And this brings us to Charlotte Mason. Now, Charlotte Mason was an educational philosopher and practitioner in England during the Victorian and Edwardian eras. And 
One of the reasons why I think she's such an important person to listen to is she was raised in the very same kind of classical schooling movement or, or understanding that somebody like a Dorothy Sayers or C.S. Lewis was raised in. And both of those opine the fact that it is eroding and going away. Well, she was in the middle of it. And a lot of her assumptions come from the Oxford, Cambridge, Etonian kind of aristocratic mode of education. And what she's doing is saying, can we make this available also to the kids in mining towns? And she also saw some ways in which it fell short in truly being formational, even though that classical mode of the trivium quadrivium was important to her, she saw some ways in which it could be augmented through serious consideration of pedagogy. Well, she wrote six volumes, and this is uh, uh, one small quote on habits. There's so many more that I could have drawn on, but I felt like this was relevant to us as well. It is pleasant to know that even in mature life, mature life like you and me, it is possible by a little persistent effort to acquire a desirable habit. It is good, if not pleasant, to know also with what fatal ease we can slip into bad habits. So we've got, it's kind of like the prophets, behold, I put before you the two ways, the good habits, the bad habits. You are going to acquire habits. It's just the nature of the way our brains are constructed. They want, your brain wants to become automatic. And, and what you put before it becomes your habit. And so what we are going to talk about is ways in which we can be intentional about how our students acquire those habits. Now, I'm offsetting this habit training from classroom management. And I want to take a, a few moments to explain what do I mean by classroom management? Why do I think it's such a dastardly, awful thing? I'm sure it has some good things to it, but uh, what you and I might have experienced, if you are like me and you were raised in a public school setting, this is largely what your classroom experience was like. And it was fundamentally based on behaviorism. And you can think of Pavlov or Skinner, you ring the bell, you get the dog to uh, get a treat and, and all of these things. So that's the fundamental framework of classroom management. And it, it's fundamentally manipulative of the child. It's trying to get the child to do something based on a set of assumptions of what uh, is going on almost mechanically in the child. So if we if we create an environment where it has competition or reward, we can get children to do stuff. And it's often measured uh, by things like achievement scores, and we can get higher scores through these, what we could call manipulations. And uh, the, the bottom line is often external conformity. If you recollect your own education, uh, <clears throat> if it was in this mode, uh, you may recognize ways in which you felt manipulated. Like, wasn't there more to it? You, you've been attracted to this renewal movement oftentimes because there was something lacking in there. There was a lack of joy of knowledge. It was like jump through the hoops in order to accomplish certain things. Well, for whom 
oftentimes it was for the individual teacher or for the institution. And so I think there's an alternative and, and that alternative really does center around a shift in the way we think about the child and a shift in the ways in which we can think about how we assist that child in becoming their best selves. And so let me develop what I mean by habit training. <clears throat> there are a few assumptions or, or fundamentals about what we're talking about when we consider habit training. So first of all, what we're talking about and what Charlotte Mason emphasized repeatedly is that we're dealing with whole persons, the dignity of the whole personhood of the child, the imago Dei that is present in this child. There's not just an intellectus up here, but they have emotions, they're relational beings, they're physical creatures as well, that we are embodied souls. And so we want to take the whole person into consideration, not just their intellectual or cognitive development. Beyond this, it's virtue-oriented, or, or we might say morally-oriented as well, that um, these children uh, have their own moral wills, that they will be and want to be on a pathway of personal betterment. And so that whole eudaimonia that, that is virtue-oriented, is they actually want that. And when they're lacking that in their education, that's when they feel this education either isn't worth it or it's valueless in some way. And then finally, it, it is about individual autonomy, the individual autonomy of the student. What we desire for these students is that they can be truly free, that that, that will, that moral will that they have to go out into the world to be their best selves, that journey towards being their best selves, is in their own hands. They're not just solely dependent on a teacher or a system in order to be that. So that, that individual autonomy is really important to our understanding of what habit training is. Well, let's walk through what, habit what the method of habit training is. And there, there are five insights. It, it's not quite a five-step plan. It's not that simple, although there is simplicity underlying all of this. But we be inspiring idea. Now, classical education is full of great, inspiring ideas. The reason why we're reading the great books is because they're chock full of great ideas. And we see the, the joy that students experience when they, when they read about the childhood of Napoleon and he beats his brothers in military games. They're like, I wanna be like Napoleon. And then they read about Abraham Lincoln and they're like, ooh, I, I actually wanna be like Abraham Lincoln. And uh, I heard about Donatus the Grammarian. Maybe they want to be like him. Uh, I heard about him this morning. And there's so many heroic figures. It's kind of like that old, I want to be like Mike commercial. We have these heroes that we want to be like. 
And so there's inspirational ideas just all over our literature, history, science. Yes, even mathematics is full of inspiring ideas. So we can use those inspiring ideas to say, you want to be your best self, kind of like Napoleon did, kind of like Lincoln did. Let's capitalize on that. But sometimes it doesn't even need to stem from that great book's tradition. It can stem from the child's own desire as they reflect on the ways in which they fall short and want to be their better selves. Well, let's capitalize on that. You know, I saw ways in which you weren't able to relate in the best way you could with your classmates. And I want to see you do a better job in relating with your classmates. Don't you want that for yourself? Yes, I do. Well, there's the inspiration, right? And that's what motivates. The habit training is the child's own inspiration to be actively involved in their government. And I, my role as a teacher is to come alongside them. And so once we've inspired the individual students or the group of students, we want to give the details. And so I'll select one potential habit as a, as a workshop, uh, ready position. So I could give this long lecture about how important it is not to tip in shares and tipping in shares, you could break your back and if you break your back, you won't get a good job and you'll be destitute <laughs> living in the box and, and on and on. And it's a, it's a tedious lecture. Instead, all I'm going to do is break down ready position into the fewest details possible. What is ready position? Ready position is six feet on the floor. The chair provides four, you provide two. So you got six feet on the floor, back straight, a slight tip forward, and an open face. That's ready position. Okay, class, I've explained what ready position. Can you show me what ready position is? I see people already, they're like shifting. Oh, I'm not in ready position. And so, it's doable and it's framed in the positive, not don't tip in your chair. It's let's be in ready position. You know why we want to be in ready position? Because there are great books that we want to read. We want to work on these together. The best way for us to get the most out of this is to be in ready position. So what are the four things we're looking for? And I, I can get them to tell me back just those four simple things. Tomorrow, when I bring it up, I'm like, okay, we're, we're back today. We're ready to be in ready position. Can you tell me what that is? And you show me, we won't begin until you show me ready position. And away we go. We're establishing that habit. We are guiding them towards their best selves as a class. Now, the next thing is constant vigilance. This is where you become trained in the habit of being a habit trainer. You need to be aware of everything going on in the room. It's like training yourselves to see everything. This is where teachers get that reputation of having eyes in the back of their head. You, you saw when Johnny over here, you know Johnny's weak, you know he's going to slouch, and you're, you're just going to need to help Johnny do a little better job of being in ready position. You know, Johnny, we're gonna be in ready position. Do you remember what those are? I'll check back with you in five minutes. Constant vigilance. And you know when they're going to experience that weakness and you're aware of things. And 
And you can be light about it. It's not harsh. And, and sometimes words don't even need to be said. You can just get a little closer to Johnny. And, and you'll see Johnny, ooh, he gets right into ready position again. Then, you're being constantly vigilant. You want to take this all the way to completion. A habit usually takes about a month to two months to set in, depending on things like how much investment the child themselves is putting into it, how much relative weakness that child or that class has in the habit that you're working on, uh, any resistance or gaps. Did you have a spring break in the middle of, of what you're doing? Um, but one of the things that we will struggle with as habit trainers is you'll get about halfway through and you'll encounter the hurdle of your own sympathy. You will feel like, oh, I've worked them so hard. They're doing so well. Maybe I should just give a little bit of slack here. You know, is it so bad? Like, they're not going to not get into college if they tipped in their chair. Let's be realistic. And you might even have students who are like, is it so wrong to tip in my chair? And you're like, maybe it's not. That's the moment when you need to be the grown-up in the room to exert your own moral will and understand, well, what was my inspiring idea to begin with and the most loving, kind thing I could provide to this child or this class is the acquisition of this habit. That the whole reason we were going in this direction in the first place was that these children could be their most mature selves and these children could take their next steps on the path towards independent moral direction. And they will encounter struggle. That's very natural. There might be tears every once in a while, but it's the most loving thing for them. And I'm committed to that. And sometimes needing to go back to this. You remember why we're doing this? We're almost there. Keep with me, guys, and we'll reap the fruits. And then finally, the true reward. The true reward is not a star or a sticker or candy or a grade or a scholarship, it's actually the habit itself. The habit of taking true joy in what you're learning, well, that's why we got started in ready position in the first place. And we've done it, class. We've gotten there. Did you notice in our grammar lesson today, we were all in ready position? Did you notice how quick we got through that? That's because we were all in this together. We all did ready position together. Wow, what a great feeling. Now, there are some natural consequences that come with a, an acquired habit. Freedom is basically it. Discipline equals freedom is, is actually one of the mantras of one of my heroes, Jocko Willink, if, if you've ever listened to him. So we've acquired freedom. Class, you know, because we were in ready position and we got through our lessons so well, it's so beautiful out. We've got some time where we could take a walk. Maybe it's not beautiful. Let's get the games out. You know, I'd love to play some, some games with you today. We'll just sit and talk. So there, there are some natural awards that, rewards that come with acquiring habits, that freedom. And, and most often, we get freedom in time units when we acquire really 
good disciplined habits. Are you ready to take your classroom or school to the next level? Here at Educational Renaissance, we want to equip you with skills and practices that will help you achieve your goals as educators. Join us for our next live webinar and take a deep dive into the topics you've learned about through our blog posts, podcasts, books, and videos. Learn practical skills and get your questions answered to level up your classroom or school. Simply sign up for our next live webinar on our webinar page at educationalrenaissance.com. Learn more about upcoming webinars or find other downloadable content. If you believe teaching is a craft, then join us for our next webinar where you can be apprenticed to gain valuable skills and practices. Sign up at educationalrenaissance.com. All right, so what does this mean for you as teachers? Well, if, if in any way I've stimulated your thinking about habit training, perhaps even convinced you that this would be a viable alternative to just mere classroom management, well, you need a plan. And where you want to begin is what Simon Sinek would say is to start with why. This is, maybe this is what you're truly paid the big bucks for, is the creative work of saying, you know what? I am so frustrated with how we're walking in the hallways. Well, how could I creatively think of the why? What, these, these guys, these boys and girls, if I just go after them about walking quietly in straight lines in the hall, you know, the, the people who rush ahead and the stragglers and all of that, they, they're not going to be with me. So I need to do the hard work of thinking of the why. What would be the inspiring idea that would help them do their walk in the hallway better? And, and so starting with why, what is the big picture why? What's the big deal with walking in the hallway? Uh, and maybe it's something like we want to get there efficiently. You know, we know we're embarrassing ourselves. All of the teachers have to shush us when we're in the hall. Wouldn't you love to be respected by, your, by the other school children? Something like that. Um, put it in your lesson plans. Oftentimes our lesson plans are content oriented. We need to get to page 257. Today's about right triangles. Well, if what you want to incorporate in your lesson plans is this habit training stuff. What is it we're actually working on? Maybe it's working on ready position, and I've put that in my lesson plans. Ready position, four things we're working on. Six feet on the floor, straight backs, lean forward, open face. Because here's the deal. If you're working on right triangles, and Sally over here is turn around, Somebody's sketching over here. You've got chair tipping, looking up at the ceiling over here. Are you actually teaching right triangles? <laughs> Probably not. And so the habit training can actually enable you to teach right triangles because what you know is the actual lesson is the habit. And, and the lab that we're going to work on this with is right triangles. And then if you've got that in your lesson plans and you move on from right triangles and next is grammar, you, you're carrying that habit over from one to the other. 
you want to create a growth environment. Um, one of the ways that I've done that is, is through my own vulnerability. Early on when I was teaching, if I made a mistake, man, I wanted to cover that up because I, I needed to be the sage on the stage and all of that. <laughs> so what I learned to do is to say, you know, the chinks in my armor are, are the gateway to students embracing growth. They're, so I will talk with them about my vulnerability the ways in which I'm limited, weak, I don't know stuff. So if I spell something wrong, like, man, I still need to learn this, don't I? But I'm glad you pointed that out, class. Let's work, how do I spell this properly? Uh, there is one, one class, you know, I'm teaching high school seniors and I never really learned how to do a cap, cursive capital F and they nailed me on it. They're like, that's not how you do capital F. I was like, well, how do I do capital F? You know, help me out here. And it, it does, it just creates that growth environment where it's like, we don't want to be embarrassed about where we're wrong or where we've fallen short. We, the, only when those are revealed can we grow. And so we create a growth environment. We celebrate those moments where we fail. A splendid fail is even better. Uh, let me dive into a couple of Teach Like a Champion concepts. And I'll, I'll give a plug to one of my educational renaissance colleagues, uh, Colby, tomorrow morning, I think it's 1015, uh, is doing a session on Teach Like a Champion. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, if you don't know what Teach Like a Champion is, uh, you'll, you'll learn more there. But practicing routines, so lining up at the door, handing out papers, collecting papers, getting Kleenex. How many of you have students like... Getting Kleenex is a big ordeal. <laughs> so come up with the routines where you've, you've now established, you know, collecting papers, just down the rows, I'll walk down, I'll collect them. It takes a, a few seconds. So establishing those routines actually follows the same patterns as habit training. And then transferring ownership. If our ultimate goal is for independent autonomy on the part of the students, I've got to sever the ties of dependence on me. So I may be the grown up in the room, but you all are on your way to being grown ups. So how can I transfer that ownership to you? So by the second month, ready position has to be their responsibility. How are you calling yourself up to that? Reminding yourself, reminding each other so that we can celebrate that, yes, but it's also transferred to them. All right, well, uh, just seeing that uh, we've got only a few minutes left before we get into questions, I wanted to give you a few keystone habits to consider. There's an infinite number of habits to acquire, and, and these keystone habits <clears throat> are surrounded by lots and lots of little habits, if you will. But one is attention. If there's any habit to begin with, it's attention. Singular focus on one task. Multitasking is the name of the game in the wider culture. I, I can talk to my neighbor while I'm doing my homework. Well, you might be able to, but the rare and valuable skill is single tasking. And so we are going to work on singular focus on one task. That's attention. Orderliness, making sure only what is out is what's needed to be out. 
that your homework steno has only in it what it needs, not your note to your friend or a sketch of the teacher's face. <laughs> um, reverence. Reverence is one I love to cultivate. I, I have my students close their eyes and, and recognize that God is present here. He's actually more present with us than the other people in the room. And reverence means we want to recognize he's here. And so, boys and girls, we're going to bow our heads and close our eyes. We're going to close our eyes because our God, we experience our God invisibly, and we, we want to connect with him and recognize him. And we're bowing because he's a holy God. And so I've given them some of the inspiring ideas, some of the habits. It's connected to reverence, not just external mechanical motion. Humility and courage go together. This is particularly, uh, I'm thinking about middle school and upper schoolers. Um, so self-advocacy is a big thing to learn. The courage to ask for help. Sometimes I need to do the asking on, on their behalf. You, you, Johnny needs help. Let's set up a lunchtime meeting. And so I'm going to train them in the courage to ask for help and also the humility to recognize that it's okay to need help. Um, so these are some of the keystone habits to work on. And uh, so before we get to uh, questions, um, I've only skimmed the surface of everything we could get into with regard to Charlotte Mason, with regard to habits. Um, I myself and my colleagues have written a lot more on educationalrenaissance.com. I have a free ebook that you could get um, if you want to go deeper into habit training. And uh, the three of us have also recorded a podcast. So the second episode is actually on habit training. And so you can learn more through these avenues if you really want to take this deeper. All right, well, I know you probably have some questions and I see we're all in ready position with open faces. <laughs> all right, yes. So I think we're all buying in as mm -hmm. teachers or administrators. Yeah. And the parents that come to our schools, mm -hmm. a portion of them are buying in. Mm -hmm. And so when looking to establish protocol mm -hmm. and decorum, I've yeah. often encountered resistance. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I have some ideas and it's a fledgling effort. Yeah. Do you have yeah. ideas about uh, Is the resistance theological in nature or, well, or is the it resistance, like, yeah. yes i mean mm -hmm. from families who are nominal christians and don't understand that freedom comes out of mm -hmm. the fact that you know just because you're not in the classroom doesn't now mean it's time for free for all mm -hmm. and then, yes we do want to have a duty yeah. to do habits yeah yeah, so I've, I've encountered two kinds of resistance. And one is the sense that this is manipulative. And oftentimes it's because they themselves experienced manipulation as a school child. It could also be theological. You know, isn't this just works righteousness or something like that? So, okay, I grant those. But I go back to the inspiring idea. Well, why are we doing this? Why did you put your child here in the first place? Didn't you want your child to be the best version of themselves? And if they're not there yet, then they need training to become the best version of themselves, to have that independence and autonomy 
And, and we see that with our older students. I can tell you some stories, and I, I trust that that will be true for your child as well. So I actually go back to the inspiring ideas as opposed to the mechanics of it. So, yeah. Yeah. So eighth grade boys in a drama class. Mm -hmm. Any specific tips I can <laughs> take yeah. from it? Drama class. One of my favorite stories. So I helped. I was a, I was a uh, acting coach for our middle school boys, and I remember the night. Well, it was dress rehearsal actually. I've got all of these middle school boys in the boys' bathroom. I'm like, it's makeup time, and we're putting makeup on. And we went up to our theater director, and it's like the boys had too much lipstick on. It's like they really got into it. They're like, okay. But yeah, I think it's, you know, eighth grade boys in drama. You know, what what is it that would make them the better version of themselves in that setting? What are the inspiring ideas? You know, it, this isn't just about acting. This isn't just about drama. You, it, oftentimes, particularly with my shy students, teaching them to embody a different character, to be able to communicate, uh, that's, that may be worth uh, connecting to. Yeah. Question via Zoom. How do you walk the line between being vigilant in habit formation mm -hmm. and being ruled by rules? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, if it's guided by inspiration, I think that's how you can, can keep yourself from just locking into really rigid rules-based thing. And, and I, I've fallen into that sometimes when we are our most stressed selves, maybe it's personal life, things that I'm dealing with, or the day was just you know, it's just on all, you have awful days. Sometimes we have that tendency to lock into rules and all of that. And you yourself sometimes need that moment of realigning your inspiration so that you are aiming at the child's best and in some ways aiming for your best as a teacher. Like, why am I in this game in the first place? <laughs> and it's not just to not tip in chairs. That's not my thing. It, it's to really have an inspiring classroom. And sometimes just remembering that. Um, I Sometimes I'll have students write, I will say, you know, tucking your shirt in, it's not the most important thing in life, but it is the way in which you learn how to be faithful right now. If you can be faithful in a little thing, then you'll, you'll be able to be faithful in bigger things. And that's why the little thing is the most important thing. Can we work on this together? So, any other questions? Yeah. Yeah, I was just thinking about kind of the difficulty, especially in older grades where the, the kids have many teachers and subjects mm -hmm. per day. Mm -hmm. uh, if the first step really needs to be aligning those certain habits across the different subjects. Or if you can work on it individually in your classroom without yeah. having done that. Yeah. There, there's another tricky situation just like that. You're a homeroom teacher, you've got your second grade, and you now take them to the art teacher. And and you might not have alignment, like you're saying. So having divisional meetings, you if you are a group of people and you've got the same students, you know the issues. And can we can we get alignment in this cohort of upper school teachers or alignment with my specials teachers? 
to say, there's a lot of issues we could work on. Let's choose one to work on over the next fortnight or, or however long. And, and we're going to say the same thing. And, and they can't play mom off of dad now. <laughs> so I, I think having that kind of planning it is a really effective way to use things like uh, teacher training days. Like if you do a breakout, lower school, upper school, um, that's a really effective thing to, to use. Mm -hmm. Another question, it's kind of two questions that are related, but basically how do you differentiate in the classroom mm -hmm. with students whose best selves may be at different levels? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, some, some things I've done is actually pair those together, your desk mates, I, I had one of my, I, I love the ones who struggle the most. I, I don't know how, what that says about me, but I had this boy when he stood, he could only ever like roll his foot over. Like he must've had this dexterity in his ankle that, that I have never achieved. Cause he could always like roll his foot over. Like, just stand on two feet solid. And so I just put him next to the kid who you could tell was going into the military, like he's still, <laughs> and so I'm like, this kid, it's not an issue for hit this boy, but for this kid it is. And I just put them next to each other because the kid who was weak could kind of borrow some strength from the other one. And so I, I just intentionally put those together. Um, not to say, look at this kid who's doing it better, shape up, but it, it was like I, I could pair strength and weakness together. We're all in this together. Let's keep keep going. But uh, there's that. And then with differentiation, sometimes it's individual conversations where I'm actually coming up with individualized habits for certain students uh, because the, their struggle in this area is is either outsized for the group or if I could if I could solve this one issue, it's actually going to address 12 other issues before I get to a big group habit. How do you do this well with students who come into your school having been in other schools mm -hmm. that haven't learned the habits mm -hmm. in kindergarten and yeah. not only yeah. focusing on them? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I think they'll notice a difference. Sometimes you do get the new student too cool for school. They're set against being invested in that way. But if you've established the culture of the class, now you could get an influx of enough students that it disrupts the culture that has been created. But um, at the beginning of the year anyway, you kind of have to do some things to reestablish that culture reestablish norms, go back to think, well, sometimes you're in, inheriting the habit training of a previous teacher, so you really need to do that handoff well, but sometimes you just do those reviews. You know, I, I had you guys last year, we, we learned so well at the beginning of the year, ready position, let's, let's review that just to start things off. And that can bring along the new student because they're looking around, they're new, What's the, what's the level here? And they actually want to reach level. And that can become the inspiring idea. I know you're new. It's scary to be new. The best way for you to relate with others is, is just to kind of look around and see what everybody's doing. I'll, I'll be with you the whole way. And, and now they've got an ally 
to be their best selves in this new setting. Yeah. So our definition of better self, mm -hmm. intrinsic versus extrinsic, yeah. pretty countercultural. Mm -hmm. um, what's your one best recommended tool for communicating this to the parents? Because obviously, if we give them 360 degrees of care, mm -hmm. we're going to stand a better success. Of, right. Yeah. Success. Exactly. Uh, I I often using communication tools like early emails, parent-teacher conferences. This is what we're working on. This is what you could be working on at home. Um, so what, you know, maybe at the beginning of their homework, if they're doing homework at home, here's what I'm talking about ready position. And, and you could bring that up at home too. Then, then you're doing the same thing at home. Here's what I'm talking about with reference. And, you know, the next time you're at church with your child, you know, here are my talking points. You don't have to use my talking points, but, but if we're resonating with one another, they're, they're going to get all of this input from the people that matter in their life. Is your podcast kind of parent-friendly that would at least introduce the background concepts or do you have? Uh, yeah. It's, not necessarily yeah. The, the background. What, what yeah. will inspire the parents to come along yeah. and say, okay, I want to take your mm -hmm. common vocabulary and your common yeah. expectations and I want to make mm -hmm. it mine yeah. because I see the importance of it. Yeah. You do have to do a little bit of wooing of the parents, Absolutely. right, to get buy-in to your model. But if they're sending their kid there, they must have some amount of buy-in, sure. right? And, and now that you're here... Hey, I want to get yeah. from the teacher so I can get the sticker at home. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you are doing something countercultural. And you, you really need to... Like, if you can get your parents early on and to say, you've invested in this school, let me give you some notes on how to make the best advantage of this investment at home. I think you'll really like the results at home. If your kid isn't doing dishes, their room isn't clean, they can't tie their shoe under five minutes when you're late for church, I think I might have some ideas for you that we could work together on. All right, well, I know we, we've got to be sensitive to time, so I would love to keep the conversation going. There's probably more questions you have. You can email me at my school email, pegan, not pegan, at rebelschool.com <laughs> or through educationalrenaissanceblog at gmail.com. You can visit our habit training page at educationalrenaissance.com. And we've got our first uh, symposium training. If you're in the Indianapolis area and would be interested in some face-to-face -face training, you can do that on August 4th. Um, my free gift to you is, is the ebook. It's for free. You've uh, got this QR code. I, I guess the remote people might have an easier time doing that than if you're present here. I don't know if you can zoom in well enough on that. And that'll take you to our page. And uh, my other request of you, if you'd be so kind, it, it, you don't have to do this, but if you were interested in giving us feedback yeah. uh, on this talk and tomorrow Colby's talk, uh, that would be great. All right, thank you everyone. Thank you. Bye.